0: Spanning the Nerdosphere, talking about everything you want to hear. From comics to cosplay, from the cinematic universe to fan films and everything in between. It's time to get down and nerdy. Here are your hosts, James Witham and Nick Battaglia.
1: Welcome to episode 90 of the Down and Nerdy podcast, where, as you can probably hear, apparently you can't hit puberty more than once in your life.
0: <laughs>
2: I just want to say that I've always wanted to co-host a podcast with Steve-O from Jackass. I mean, it is what it is,
1: man. I promise that I'm James Witham alongside... The... <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: hey, you know what? It's not my fault that I sound like James Earl Jones making love to a KitchenAid stand mixer, okay? <laughs> I'm sorry I
2: just can't stop laughing. <laughs> oh. Oh, my Joker laugh is coming
1: out! (laughs) Yes, it is.
2: For people who don't know, I laugh really hard. I try to... It's not on purpose. I laugh like the fucking Joker. Oh, my God!
1: I promise there's no gas in his... Well, not that kind of gas (laughs) in his room, anyway.
2: Yeah. Oh. Okay. Okay, I'm coming down.
1: Okay, breathe. You need a minute?
2: I think I'm gonna be good a little bit. (laughs) Or not. Okay. Okay, I'm good. I'm good. I am the Merc with one arm, Nick Bataglia.
1: Uh, I thought thought you were going to forget to introduce yourself. (laughs) No!
2: I I have to gather. I've never (laughs) had to gather myself. (laughs) Okay, let's go on with the show. Okay. If we must.
1: I mean, it is the 90th episode. It is.
2: I'm trying. I'm sorry. I got to bite my tongue. I'm trying not to laugh.
1: Well, I mean... Uh, Think about Black Magic then, because that's who we were talking to last week, Greg Ruck and Nicola Scott about Black Magic. That, that was a great interview, and the, the way that they just kind of honor the genre, I thought was really cool.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, who knows maybe that Black Magic could help you from stop smoking twenty cigarettes, you know, cartons a day. If only, voice,
1: you if, if only that were the reason, and it was that simple.
2: Yeah, right. <laughs> that would
1: make it a lot easier.
2: But uh, no, again, Greg Rucka and Nicola Scott were great last week. You know, talk about their new series Image, from Image Comics, Black Magic, and again, a lot of great mystery. It's if you're a fan of black and white, you're gonna love the art by Nicola because it's just it's very detailed. Again, as I said last week, it draws you in with the eyes and everything else, and uh, just a great, great, great job. And James, we have actually. This this is our 90th episode, we're going to be talking a little bit of Batman and Robin Eternal, and tell us who we're going to have on this week, or at least tell the folks, we know who we're going to have on this we're week. Have,
1: we're going to have Jackson Lanzig and Colin Kelly, who are going to be writing issues 9 and 10 of Batman and Robin Eternal. Of course, issue 9 is going to be coming out this week, or is already out, and issue 10 is going to be coming on December 9th, which is the upcoming New Comic Book Day, and it's been a great series. I mean, Batman Eternal last year was probably one of the best <laughs> series of the year, Batman and Robin Eternal. I think it's going to end up being the best Robin story, it seems like, ever. So I can't wait to dive into it with those guys.
2: Exactly. Again, you know, we read all 52 issues of Batman Eternal, loved it all. I mean, you know, the ending was kind of funny. It's like, really? The Clue Master? Really? Yeah, but you didn't see it coming. You didn't though. see That's it coming, though. And I mean, the way that these two guys, you know, write uh, Red Robin and Red Hood, I mean, it's it's a really, really great job. We actually got, got an uh, advanced look at issues 9 and 10. And I mean, yeah, dude, and they bring back a certain character. We're not going to say who it is for smaller oh, reasons, but they bring back a certain character. And I texted you this immediately after I read it. I'm like, dude, this person's in here. And oh my God, yes. And the way they present it, too, and the look
1: in that final panel of issue oh, yeah. And if you've read it already, wow that this is happening. And we get to find out more about Mother going forward in the series if you've been reading Batman and Robin Eternal. And we're going to get to that. And I promise, stick with me. I'm going to make it through the show this week. We've got two new comics that we're going to be reviewing. It's next on
2: Down and Nerdy.
0: Hi, this is Greg Rucka, comic book writer, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast.
2: Well said time, boys and girls. Light those candles. Pull out your favorite piece of Matt Slay art because it's time to... Seduct the Innocent. All right. Of course, that means it's time for what we're reading. Of course, brought to you by the fine folks over at Fantasy Escape Comics and Cards over on Aragon Boulevard in Virginia Beach. Go see Bob and all the great things he has for yourself and the nerds that you love. So again, as I did that nice, beautiful, and very, very sexy intro for Seduction of the Innocent, I'm going to go first this week. And I reviewed Seduction of the Innocent, number one, by Dynamite Comics. Now, it's written by Andy Peaks. The art's done by Esteve Poles. Colors are done by Salvatore Ayala Studios. And here's the thing. I love noir. I've said this many a times. Yep. If you've read a couple of my, my reviews on our website, podcast.com I reviewed a couple of noir stuff. I love how I, I love noir. I love the feel of it. I love the look of it. This takes place in San Francisco in 1953 during the FBI's previous crackdown of organized crime. And the main character... At first, we don't know... That's the thing I like about this book. At first, you don't really know, like, who's the main character. And it reads more like a book about a group of people, like a group of FBI agents, more than one person. But then you find out the main character is actually... He's called the he's called the sharpshooter from Cleveland, Thomas Jennings. And he's produced this new... Uh, agent coming of course from cleveland to san francisco to you know solve these mysteries these murders and stuff like that work with a new unit and the writing in this is really good but then you get to the last page Uh and this left me going more like as a question like wait what like i don't get it because the final panel has this big reveal via a a self-portrait i'll say and it's hanging on the wall, and these two guys are sitting down eating, and there's this big portrait, and it's a reveal. And it made me kind of step back in confusion, because the thing is, the self-portrait is of somebody who is a real-life person, or I should say was a real-life person. And at the time that this takes place, it makes you wonder, like, oh, no, this takes place X amount of years after this certain event happened in real life don't tell me this is i got let's just say you know how you feel towards hydra right now in this current season of shield yes yeah i'm kind of like oh no don't do this
1: oh i think i know where you're going with this too
2: yeah Uh... yeah i'm kind of like i'm not gonna say it but you probably figure out what it is but it's just one of those things where i'm like it doesn't the, I'll say this. Up until that last page, the whole book is very, very good. They use actual last names of uh, real gangsters. Like, they, like you know, there's a guy in the, in the book whose last name is Lanza. Who of course, if you like myself, I know a lot about you know mob history and gang history and stuff like that. But for somebody who doesn't know much about organized crime, the Lanzas were the uh, Jewish mafia. They're Jewish yep. Sicilians, yep. and they're very, very famous. Um, they start off like in the 1930s, actually 1932 was when they got their first start in the San Francisco crime family. And that's the thing is that this book is a really good noir book, but then the way this is going, I'm like, Oh no. And then probably kind of people are interested like, maybe this could be interesting given when this takes place, but I'm like, it kind of feels a little bit too late to use these certain characters that they're using, or at least, uh, pretty much. I, I, the gist of it is, without spoiling anything, is what they want to do is they want to try to create a certain thing of like, hey, there's X amount of cops. They got all these, you know, they're wrapped up in all these cases. They're gonna break. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. It's like and it's like and sooner or later, somebody's gonna look towards somebody to help. You know, put things in order. And it gave me kind of like you know to use a Gotham reference recently, a Theo Galvan type of feel to it a little bit. Interesting. What? And but again, when you see the with the main antagonist more likely could be, it makes me kind of scratch my head a little bit like, oh, no, don't tell me you're going to derail this great noir story. Like, like this is a story about, like, stopping mob killings. Like, we got to track these killings. These people are, you know, there's been mob killings, people are killing mob bosses and everything all over San Francisco. We got to stop it kind of thing. And then we find out who the people are that are killing these mob bosses. It, that's when you get that whole reveal. You're just like, "Oh shit!" And you're like, "Up, oh, just went off the rails for me." But for me, my rating, uh, it's it's a pull still for me because I, part of me is like, you know, it's like twenty, it's over twenty pages, like twenty four plus pages. So I'm just like, you know, I can't make this a pickup because of one thing. Especially when I don't, especially because of one panel, I don't know where this is gonna go. Yeah. And, I mean, it could go the way that I I fear or it could go away. where I think maybe it might be interesting. Um, But it's a pull for me because it's a good noir book, you know, and it's it's really, really good, man. I mean, it's one of those things where you could – you know, it's just – it's really, really well-written noir. And, you know, I can't demonize it and say, oh, it's a pickup because I don't know a way a certain book is going to go because we're only in issue one.
1: I understand that. I mean, you don't want to kill it for one thing, but I also well, understand that. page, the, yeah. Yeah, I also understand the hesitation, though. To, well, especially
2: because it was a big reveal. That's why they used it as a big reveal and a possible plot device and plot change kind of a thing.
1: Well, and honestly, this is one of those deals now where you're going to be looking at hard at the second issue to decide oh, whether yeah. or not you want to continue with the series. So maybe, even though it is a pull, it could easily turn into a drop, is what you're saying.
2: Y- yeah, I want to say it's, it's a pull. But it's a cautious poll, I'll say that. A
1: cautious poll. <laughs> well, the,
2: well, the well, the reason why I can't give it a pickup, because it's kind of like, I feel if I give it a pickup, I'm demonizing it for one page, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and you
1: can't really do that, I understand that.
2: Yeah, and, and, and I can't take away from the great like pages that led up to that moment. So that's my review for this week. What did you do this week? Well, I saw something that
1: caught my eye when I was looking at the uh, stuff that uh, Dark Horse Comics had sent us. And it was Dragon Age Mage Killer, which is also, you know, based on the characters from the Dragon Age game, which I've always had an interest in. What I didn't know at the time when I started reading it, I'm like, oh, I'm going to review this book this week. It's written by Greg Rucca. Didn't do that on purpose. <laughs> didn't do it yes. on purpose. Just sort of happened. The pencils are by Carmen Carreno. uh Inks are by Terry Pallet, And colors are by Michael at- Atia. Sorry, I probably butchered your name, Michael. I apologize there. Michael Heisler actually does the letters. Now, it's very clear in this book who the main characters are. It's Marius and Tessa who are actually killers for hire of mages, which immediately to me is like, okay, this is really interesting. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Now, there's almost no dialogue in the first half of this book, but what you do see is a lot of action and there's narration over the action, which actually tells you who they are, why they're doing what they're doing, and a nice analysis of the characters. So to me, even though there was no dialogue, that was a great way to start out this book, especially for those of us who aren't, like, super familiar with Dragon Age and the characters. So I thought that that was great.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the thing, too, is because Dragon Age, very popular video game, you know, and the thing is, is... Certain adaptations, you kind of feel like, you know, you've done Tomb Raider before. I've noticed you've done a lot of video game adaptation books. Like Tomb Raider, you're kind of like, oh, you're on the fence of that a little bit. There's some things that you just kind of didn't like a little. Mm-hmm. This one, you're like, oh, wait, like, once you say mage killers, like mage hunters? Like, that's just, that grabs your attention, man. And
1: in the first scene where they're going, because obviously the first thing that they do is, is they're showing you, they're showing them going after this mage that they've been hired to go after. And you find out why... Uh, after the fact and just the scenes where they're fighting this mage and how they kill her yeah wow it's like you wouldn't expect that this is the way it was, especially in a book called Dragon Age we expect it to be a lot of sword play and medieval weapons the way this mage dies is very very interesting and actually as the issue goes on there's a lot of mystery that surrounds Mary is the main character. You know, he kind of barely talks. He barely acknowledges that Tess is existing in the room, Uh but he trusts her. This is like there, there's a, there's a scene later on in the book where you can see where he cares about her and trusts her, but it's like he, he's trapped inside himself almost for some reason, you know, virtually nothing about the relationship, but it doesn't feel like that's a plot hole. It almost feels like, okay, we're going to get to that. And we want to add that as part
2: of the mystery to the book oh yeah and that's the thing like you know you go back to really want to go back to black magic real quick the thing about that book is greg leaves a lot of mystery in his writing like, he, like he'll he highlight something but then he'll leave something out because he wants to be more part of a mystery right and it, f- it sounds like it fits really well with this yeah it
1: really does and actually as the book goes on he they kind of get another job offer yeah and that's when marius speaks up he's like we're not doing this And he has a certain reason, and I don't want to give it away because there's a reason why he doesn't want to do it. And actually, once we get to the end, there's a twist that leads right into the second issue where you're going, whoa, I need to find out who this person is and why this is such a huge deal. And I got to say that the writing is really good, which I sort of expected with with Greg being on board. Uh But the art... Matches up really well, it's very solid art, and the colors actually play a key role, kind of like they did in Black Magic, See, where you've got the mages involved, and the colors are really a really important part of the story.
2: See, that's the thing like, with, with Selection of the Innocent, the colors, the art was really, really great. It may, it really felt like an old 1950s noir novel or a noir comic. Uh, but that was my question. I was asking how the art was. I mean, and that's the thing is that you know, for Dragon Age, it has to look just Beautiful. Like, you know, oh, you, yeah. You, like, when you, like when you're dealing with fantasy, people have to realize this. When you're dealing with fantasy books, you have to have such great detail in your art. You have to make it beautiful. You have to make it like – you have to make it look two ways, either very beautifully detailed or kind of make it look like an old-style painting you would see like in a museum kind of.
1: And not only that, but I mean, I've talked about this a lot of times when we talk about comics. it's that emotion that you see without a single word being written on the page. You see that from Marius when they get this job. And you see his facial expression like change. And it's like, we're not doing this at all. And then they kind of give you the reason why. Now, people who know Dragon Age, Marius was a slave. Okay, And he he ended up being a a great fighter later on after meeting certain people. So he's already got a certain mindset and a reason why he doesn't want to go where he wants to go. Now, they set the scene very well in this book. Main characters have excellent depth. The attention that Greg and the group gave to the depth of the characters was fantastic for a first issue. You don't need to be a huge Dragon Age fan to be able to follow this book.
2: Great story. It's a pull for me, no doubt about it. Awesome. That's going to do it for this week. And what we're going to come up next this is this week in Geektainment. And, uh, well, last week we had the Civil War trailer. So DC said, okay, we're going to show a trailer for Batman versus Superman. And that's what they did. And that's what we're going to be reviewing and dissecting next
0: on Down and Nerdy. Hey, this is comic book artist Matt Slay. And you're listening to the Down and Nerdy podcast.
1: Oh, what a glorious time to be a nerd. Because not only last week did we get two amazing trailers, but this week, Nick... We got a brand new, to our surprise, Batman versus Superman trailer.
2: Yeah, and I mean, you know, Ben Affleck went on Jimmy Kimmel to release the trailer, promote the trailer. And I got to tell you, man, I'm very hyped for it. I know there's a lot of mixed reactions to it, but I mean, it, I'm hyped for this thing. And then when I found out, they're like, oh yeah, it comes out in March. I'm like, wait, we got Deadpool in February and then Batman versus Superman immediately after in March. Are you fucking kidding me? Pretty much. And okay. it's a great time to be a nerd. So, I mean, I I, I got to tell you, man, I, I am hyped for this. I really – this is the trailer they needed to the show. Like, oh, definitely. I, and uh, let's start at the beginning, of course, where, you know, we kind of get that introduction with Clark Kent and Bruce Wayne at a, what looks like, to be like a gala or some sort of a party with Lex Luthor's having. And I'll say this right now. I know when I first watched this, I'm like, oh, Lex Luthor, you know, Jesse Eisenberg, he's very – Cartoonish. I thought he was very a little bit too much over the top. Mm-hmm. But I think, and we talked about this last night, uh, you and I, we said, you know, uh, what if it's just a ruse? Like, what if, like, you know, when, and we'll get to this in a little bit, when this big bad comes and gets created, what if that's when he kind of turns that switch and isn't that overcentric, you know, uh, uh, excited guy? He's just very, like, evil and mellow kind of thing, you know?
1: I mean, it's like the whole, you know, Harrison Wells wasn't who you thought he was, right? as it turns out. So it could just all be an act, you know, to get people to feel like he's not going to be taking, you know, who's going to take this guy seriously, right? Nobody's (laughs) going to be keeping an eye on him. And then in the background, what is he doing? He's creating a big bad to kind of destroy Superman and maybe even woo Lois Lane, which is actually part of the comic book mythology as well. So, I mean, I I know that people are going to complain, okay? I really mm-hmm. do. But sometimes you can't always take things at face value. You right. have to know that there's a plan in place. And just because this doesn't have the big Marvel symbol on it doesn't mean it's not going to be a good plan.
2: Right. And that's the thing, too, is that, you know, this. I mean, this says like, oh, man, Steel would kick things off. I think this is really kicking off the DC universe, though, because of just what it, it entails and people bringing the people together. And, you know, And here's the thing. When you look at this trail and you watch it, and I gotta tell you, man, it's gonna be dark. But we have a Batman who swears now, which is fucking awesome. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you know, and it has a lot of great lines. Like for example, like you know, with Alfred, Jeremy Irons, and he's like, "You're going to war," and he says, "The son of a bitch brought the war to us," and again shows why Batman doesn't like Superman. And there's, you know, again tying the whole Man of Steel, and you know, the whole ending. Yes, I understand the whole destructive aspect of it. But now you see where that's going. And yep. now we see what's building up to and why Batman doesn't like Superman. And of course, you know, it's really, really an amazing thing. And then when Batman's in the desert, what do we see, James? Oh, we see a
1: lot of crazy stuff, man. I mean, it's just. And, and people are saying, is that the Fortress of Solitude? Yeah, in the desert, and I'm like, uh, no, I don't think it is. But what I think I
2: see is parademons. demons. Yeah, man, dark. And that means one thing, dude. Dark side. That's right. And that means could we be getting dark side a little bit early? You know, earlier than expected. And the thing is, I don't think they'll show dark side until like later. He's more like the background thing, and kind of. Um, but here's the thing: the big bad that we do see is Doomsday. And who is Doomsday? Well, it appears that Journal Zod is going to be transformed into Doomsday, as we predicted here on the show months ago.
1: Yeah, and and the thing is, is let's just address the elephant in the room right now, okay? Yeah. Can we wrap our heads around the fact that this is a version one Doomsday? Yeah. That this is not a, you know, Ferrari that's uh, got a few miles on it kind of thing, and it looks, you know, and the engine's humming hot. It's just pulled off the lot, man. I mean... You do know that Doomsday evolves, right?
2: Yeah, that's the thing, is that Doomsday does evolve, and not only that, people are like, where are the spikes? It's like, you do know the spikes only grow when he takes damage or when he dies and he's reincarnated, right? Like, they they pretty much, they grow over, they're kind of like scar tissue pretty much for him, except they're sharp and pointy and can kill you. Basically, he comes...
1: Let's just call it right out of the pod, okay? Yeah. We'll just call it right out of the pod, and he's born. I guess you could call it. Yeah. What do you want him to look like? Yeah. You know, what do you expect? So you're either going to say, oh, well, how does he just pop right out, and he already looks like the doomsday from the comics, and he's already battle-worn. Or you could say, oh, well, he looks like a cave troll from Lord of the Rings. It's stupid, okay? Yeah. He j- he This is probably the scene where he first comes out. This is his first appearance. Literally... Where he comes out of his shell for the first time and this is what we get. Now, it's going to, over time, evolve. And for all we know, that's the end of the movie right there. Yeah. That could set up Justice League. Another criticism is, oh, they're doing Doomsday too early. You don't know that.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: You don't know that they're doing Doomsday now. They could be doing Doomsday later for Justice League because think about it. Wonder Woman's next, okay? Yep. Wonder Woman is a period piece. Mm-hmm. and then Suicide Squad isn't going to have a damn thing to do with Batman versus Superman, I suspect. So,
2: you could easily save Doomsday for the Justice League movie. Yeah, but I think here's the thing, though, with that. I mean, you are already shown, you are already kind of shown, uh, you know, of course, he attacks Batman, and Batman just goes, he's in the, this is his broken down, what looks like to be the wreckage of the Batmobile, and he's like, oh, shit. And... She, she just jumps in, in front of him after Doomsday Pierce does this big blast there, and she, Wonder Woman's there. And then I doubt they're gonna end it on that. They're gonna fight because as we've seen, she's gonna be fighting Doomsday because in the trailer she gets knocked back a little bit by something and against like a wall pretty much. And mm-hmm. you know they're gonna fight Doomsday now. He's not gonna be dead, but I think the main catalyst for Justice League will probably be more of a Lex Luthor. Like probably he's probably gonna. You know, and, and Doomsday. You know, again, Doomsday just doesn't die. It's not like, oh, he's dead in just one movie. He's going to be coming back. He's going to be coming back again and again and again. And you have to realize that. And as far as his look goes, listen, you can say he looks like the Michael Bay Turtles. You can say he looks like whatever. But, again, it's this is version one Doomsday. You can't expect everything to just be popping fresh. You know what I'm saying? Like, you have to pretty much allow this to happen where he takes bail damage and he grows into something. You know, it's, it's, it, I, it's
1: like when we first saw Grodd
2: yeah okay on the flash
1: was it perfect right off the get no was it still cool absolutely it was cool and the whole cgi thing that that i love this argument too the cgi thing oh so we're just gonna
2: get another big cgi'd up villain how would you like them to do it how yeah how would you like somebody to do doomsday they had to get like brock lesnar times 10 of that body and it's just it just wouldn't work dude like you
1: know what i'm saying no. like it, what the hell no, you've got more of a chance of it looking terrible doing practical effects than you do doing it this way. It's doomsday. Yeah. You have to do this. It's not like we're talking about Luthor here or
2: something. You know. Yeah.
1: I mean, even, you could probably even get away with doing dark side practical effects. But here's effects, the thing. Okay?
2: And I understand people are saying, oh, I want Batman or Superman. You do realize that like, you get three quarters of the portion. You mean Batman or Superman. Doomsday is probably going to come to the picture probably the last act. That's yeah, why exactly. I remember Aquaman still has to make some sort of an appearance. And also right. it makes sense. They're doing doomsday because we're getting cyborgs. So it's like, it makes sense, man. Like, you know, it, it, it just, it's a culminate into something. You got, you can't take things at face value. I'm sorry, but this is again, going to our point last week proves that the whole Marvel DC thing is just fan generated. And yeah. that's what pisses me off the most. It's like, man, why do we got bad shit like, like this? Like, first of all, we haven't seen the movie yet. And people say, well, wow, about, you know, all this other stuff? And I'm like, look at this. I'm like, just see the movie, it's not like it comes out for another year. It's like, it comes out in March. Either you're going to like it, you're not going to like it, whatever. Just be grateful that we're getting a movie where uh, Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman and the whole Justice League is probably coming together. And yep. that's the thing. You know, and people saying, oh, it should have just been another Superman sequel. No. Like, no. No, because how else could you have set up uh, Batman versus Superman? Like, how else could you do that? You know? Honestly,
1: dude, I mean, I, I don't understand why we can't just enjoy things. I know. I know we've said this on the show quite a bit, but this isn't like the Fantastic Four, okay? Yeah. Where absolutely everything you saw and heard about the movie that was factual made you go this is going to be awful and it was this is not the case for batman versus superman i'm i'm not going to sit here and say there's no concerns even as a dc guy hey there are concerns about this movie okay but look what's already being kind of proven ben affleck was a good choice
2: yeah, oh, I, yeah. Think can,
1: I think we i think we could say that now i think yeah. that we could be perfect. you know all kidding aside we've made our jokes fine okay now it's time to play real here ben affleck was a good choice as oh. batman and and Gal Gadot, yeah, and Bruce Wayne, and then Gal Gadot seems like a very good choice for Wonder Woman now,
2: too, so... Well, I mean, we gotta see her talk and stuff like that, see how she acts, but yeah, I mean, she looks fine, like, I'm sorry, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, she looks fine, and I, again, people are saying well, it won't be too dark, because, you know, Marvel has humor, really, have you watched the trailer of Bad ruse man, there's a couple of lines of humor that are good there, like, the whole yeah. Wonder Woman, you know, she with you? I, I thought she was with you, you know, kind of thing, and... Uh, I like. I want to point out for a second. I think Suicide Squad, at least a Joker, will have a uh, a little piece in the action a little bit, at least in 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 name only. Because remember, they're at that party, and he says, "You know, I'm just Batman's like pretty much just like you know, I'm just you know tired of people who are dressed like clowns, kind of thing."
1: Yeah, exactly. Tired of aliens that are dressing up like clowns or something like that in, in Gotham. So no, I totally get it. But again, this is why you can't believe everything you read, kids. You know. They said there's going to be no humor in the DC movies. That's a stupid thing to say. Okay? Yeah, it's dumb. It's not. Nobody be, would say that.
2: Well, it's not going to be like Marvel. Every corner there's a joke. There's going to be jokes lying around. you peppered in. But I mean, you know, it's just. Hey, DC wants to be opposite of Marvel. That's fine. Let them do that, man. If they if they crash and burn, they crash and burn. If not, then they don't. You and know? if that's not your thing, that's cool. You but know? here's I thing, Totally get it. But here's the thing. You know. Also, it's just you know. It's a trailer. It's, it's, we see a lot of fight. Like, well, that's the thing. I, I, people are saying, oh, I want to be just Batman for Superman. You do realize that, like, 90% of the trailer is Batman fighting Superman, right? Yeah. Like, I don't, I just. And you know what?
1: I'm just going to say this right now. Huh. Because I think that some people just need to realize this. This is not a Dark Knight Returns movie. No. It's not. It's a wink and a nod at best, okay? They're using it as a basis. It's like you take a great novel, okay? And you say, I want to do a movie based on this, not adapted from this, based on this. They're going to take little bits and pieces as an homage and use that as the foundation for what is Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice. This is not the Dark Knight Returns on the big screen. And I think that the sooner you
2: let yourself realize that, the better exactly exactly so final thoughts on a trailer what do you expect going to the movie in March and uh yeah what's just your overall thoughts final final, uh, final notations
1: I expect people to complain no matter what that's, yep. just, that's number one number two I expect uh, Ben Affleck to shake off even more of the jokes and the criticism than he had and maybe be the best Bruce Wayne ever in Batman movies because I think we're finally gonna get a Bruce Wayne. From the comics that we've been waiting for. And I also expect people to stop doubting Lex Luthor because I think his true intentions will be revealed right about the midway point of the film.
2: Well, remember, he says, uh, quickly about Lex Luthor, he says, you know, if, if something about like, you know, if gods won't create, kill this thing or whatever, the devil will do it. And so, yep. I mean, he has his intentions of he wants to play God. I mean, that's always been his intention, appears in the comic. He wants to play God. And, like I said, I hope that it's toned down a little bit. Like, I don't want it to be all, you know, 100 miles an hour and, you know, and stuff like that. But, I mean, we'll see. Uh, I expect people to, after this movie to stop bashing Ben Affleck or the Ben Affleck choice. I think there will still be people who won't like Ben Affleck just because they don't like oh, Ben right. Affleck. Yeah. Um, I, I think Gal Gadot, I think Wonder Woman, we're not going to see here. I think this trailer pretty much proves it. We're not going to see... One of them probably towards more the third act of the film. Um, so that kind of subsides my fears of, oh my God, they're putting way too many people in this movie. And I, I, I think Dooms, Doomsday is going to be fine. I mean, here's, you know, I, I'm i actually predicting it right now. There's probably going to be a teaser at the end, uh, an incredible stinger, of you know, two things. Either Doomsday's. Horns or or, or whatever starting to grow on him when he's like lying on the ground or whatever. Or Victor Stone wakes up and he's cyborg. I mean, it's like the you think you killed him,
1: yeah, but you didn't kind of thing. And I think that that's probably what you're going to get.
2: Exactly, and that's going to do it for this week in Geek Tame. Coming next, we have a plethora of nerd news, including people being outraged over Black Panther. We'll decide. We'll go into it more. Nerd News comes next on Down and Nerdy. This
0: is comic book artist Annie Wu, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy podcast.
2: Well, it's that time, boys and girls. We go around the interwebs and see what's trending and people are pissed off about in the internet. It's time for what, James? Now wait a minute, before we say it, because your voice has gone to shit, let's just whisper it, okay? Alright, let's do that. Nerd. That it's was like a, creepy.
0: <laughs> that sounded
2: that, that sound like an old Budweiser commercial if you were on acid. Yeah, that was definitely creepy. <laughs> <laughs> but our first story, James, I mentioned at the tail end of Geek It. It deals with Black Panther. Now, here's what I want to stop and say. The movie is called Captain America Civil War, and it prominently features mostly Iron Man versus Captain America. Right. So, Entertainment Weekly ran with a cover that had Iron Man, Captain America in the forefront, and then you had Black Panther behind them in the middle. Now, Steve Rogers and uh, Tony Stark are unmasked. Black Panther is not. And people are pissed off about that. Another thing people are pissed off about, or I should say fake outraged about, is the fact that next to Black Panther's head says the word meow. Also, after that, he, there's a joke referencing housewives and how he has nails that make a housewife jealous. I just want to say this: shut the fuck up with this shit. Can we not take a fucking joke anymore? Like nope. even if the joke is bad, even if the joke is bad, you know, if, if even if the joke is bad at, at whatever degree, can we just take a fucking joke anymore and not be faked outrage about it? I just want to say this. To the people who wrote an article about this, I am so fucking glad that you're being destroyed on social media right now, because your article is a piece of shit, all right? Because it's it's just to get clicks, and just to get people pissed off, and I'm glad that people are calling you out in this horse shit, and I want to say this right now, at no point do they mock Black Panther of his race, nope. at no point do they mock Black Panther and make him feel like a... Uh, minute character because what? if you actually did your fucking research people who are pissed off online and opened the entertainment weekly you would see that they wrote in the fucking article that black panther is a not to be fucked with and b is a pretty badass warrior <laughs> he's paraphrasing of course yeah <laughs> yeah but I'm, I'm just saying like like people they look at someone face like oh my god oh how can they say he meow it's entertainment weekly. They've been doing jokes like this with other stars and other characters for years and years. I'm so you know, don't get pissed off about this shit. You know, people say and people who bring race into it, I'm sorry, but you're the fucking problem. Here's the deal, man. I think
1: that my response to anybody that was angry about this, if they if I was talking to them face to face, I think at the end of every sentence they made, I would say it's entertainment weekly. Yeah. This is not like Stan Lee's comic book monthly, okay? Yeah. This is not an homage and, and, to superheroes and comic and books everywhere. People. You gotta you gotta consider the source, and you're right. It's a joke, albeit a bad joke. Yeah. But sometimes that's what you do when you're selling magazines and stuff. You make bad jokes. You put stuff on the headline. And you know what, nerds? They're putting stuff on the headline to make you angry and make you buy the magazine. Oh, yeah.
2: I want to buy the cover now and just frame it. You know, and that's the thing. It's just like we're just I'm, – I'm sick and tired of people. And, nerds, you have to realize this, okay? Not everybody knows who Black Panther is. No, And we have to stop acting like the only people that are going to see these movies are people who are like us, who are nerds, who read comic books religiously. There's going to be, you know, regular people, you know, who aren't nerds and they're going to go see this movie and they don't know who Black Panther is. I'm sorry, but Black Panther, if you actually read a Black Panther comic a lot of the time, T'Challa, he's in his fucking suit, okay? He's masked. And that's the thing. And that's what pisses me off the most. And I'm sorry, but he looks like a badass.
1: He does. I want to bring up one more point, though. Uh, I believe it was Comic Book Resources who did this story. So yeah. correct me if I'm wrong. Where I'm, I'm referencing something that was written in the article where they said, One of the greatest comic book characters of all time is being reduced to a stock twice. Whoa! Yeah. Pull the brakes there, Sonny Boy. Yeah. Because great, one of the greatest comic book characters of all time...
2: Not just that, what? Not just that, but you have—they're acting as if this is the actual movie. They're like as if he's in the movie and they're making fun of him. He's just there to be a joke, you know, or be a, the token black guy. Is
1: he even in your top ten? No, no. I mean, you want to play a little game? Let's sure. play a little game.
2: Sure.
1: All right. So, who would you? Let's say who
2: is more important, Black Panther or blank? It we'll take turns. Okay, uh, Black Panther versus Black Panther, Batman. Batman. Okay, uh, you want know, to go? We're gonna go smaller. Black Panther, Hawkman. <sighs> okay,
1: I gotta go Black Panther there, but here's one for you to consider. Because let's go Marvel, Marvel. Okay, Black Panther or Captain Marvel. Captain Marvel.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, yeah. Anybody
1: disagree? Okay, Black Panther or Ant Man.
2: Um, Ant Man because of the pin particles and, uh, and shit like that.
1: Okay, so we're already we've already discounted. The main Avengers, okay, the main line Avengers from the MCU, we've already not even mentioned them. We've yep. already not even mentioned the Justice League members from DC, who I think Black Panther would be below, all of them. So it's a little heavy-handed to me to call Black Panther one of the greatest comic book characters of all time.
2: Are you kidding me? Well, I mean, let's get this straight. He what? He is the first black superhero that was put in the publication, and I'm not. And I'm not making light of that, right? But it's just the fact of you got to understand that this isn't Black Panther's movie, and this is one. Of the, this is what pisses me off the most. There was a couple of comments there. I said, I, 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 saw, and I said, really, really, Black Panther's not even getting a movie. I'm like, oh. you dumb fucks, and, this uh. one, and that's what again makes me pissed off about. It, is this fake? Outrage and people get pissed off about shit they don't know fucking anything about, and it's just I, I, I'm sick of it, man. I'm sick of it. I'm like, sick of it too. Like, I'm not, whenever I, I make know. a whenever I make a joke on the show, I don't apologize for because it it's a fucking joke. You don't like it, don't fucking listen. That's right?
1: right. And here's the deal. Here's something you should be upset about. If this was the Black Panther movie, okay? yes, if and, it was, and Steve Rogers and Iron and uh, Tony Stark were in the front of the cover. And Black Panther was shoved in the background. Yes. Okay. You can be upset about that. All right? That I totally get. But all this outrage over, oh, he's tucked in the background. Oh, they're making him a joke. Oh, there's not enough Black Panther toys and figures. Shut
0: up. Yeah.
1: Just
2: shut up. They got to realize, like, this isn't black panther's movie he's making an appearance in it and that's it and again whether you like it or not whether
1: he was the first black superhero or not i'm sorry in today's modern comics and even back then he is a b character at best yeah sorry that's not racist that is not inflammatory it is a fact you challenge me on that, and I will take you to
2: school. Son. Well, that's just that, but the fact—well, it proves that because the fact that they waited until what phase three or whatever to put bring him along—yeah—shows that. And people are wondering like, why was he masked? Everything else. Chadwick Boseman is, is playing T'Challa. He's playing Black Panther. If you had him unmasked with Tony Stark and Steve Rogers, you know Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr., how many people would know who he was? Nobody. A few, except for if, com- except
1: for you know big comic book fans, nobody would not.
2: Except for big comic book fans who pay attention to the news like we do, or if you've seen 42, the Forty Two, Jackie Robinson story, which he was great in, like you. And like I said, Black Panther in a lot of the comics, in most of the comics, if not all, he's mostly in his suit, like the original, the whole entire original Sin Run and that he was nothing in. Wrong with he's that. in a suit, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not, you know, the thing is, it's is, you know, it, it's. It's not – part of the comics is about, of course, who's underneath the mask. But a lot of it details with what do they do when they're in, in, in the suit? Like how do they act? And he's a strong character. But you have to realize, though, that this is Captain America's Civil War. And Black Panther is, is more than just he, – he, if anything, he's a lieutenant, if that, in, in yeah. the movie.
1: And guess what? Superheroes need to disguise their identity. Let's yeah. not forget about that. Yeah. there's a you know there's a mask for that. It Other than Tony Stark, who doesn't care.
2: And it does. Like, and, and one final thing I want to say before we move on to our, our next um, story uh, is this, and it's the fact of the matter that when you have somebody like Black Panther, and you have to look at it like this, like I said, you know he's going to have a smaller role. We don't, you know, stuff like that. He's not going to be one of the main characters. At no point. Does this cover make mock the fact that he's st- still, you know, a, a prince and a king and stuff like yep. that? You know, and they don't mock it. If you, that's the problem. If you see something, that, if you see something that offends you by any way, then don't look at it and don't. And that's the problem with social media. Don't go to social media and complain about it because you have to realize you have to read the article. A lot of people don't have probably never read the article that were complaining about this. I'm glad to see that a lot of nerds. Actually are rising up against us. They're saying, whoa, 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 comic book resources, calm down for a second. You know, you know, and, and somebody pointed out the fact that the guy who wrote the article said, Wait a minute, you said in the article you posted that you want you preface that you were you've been a subscriber to Entertainment Weekly for years and years and years. So why is it now a problem?
1: They're pandering to a generation that is always looking for a cause to rally around and be upset about. And that's the
2: only thing that this article did. Exactly. Exactly. And that's going to do it for our talk about Black Panther, but we're still going to keep it in the Marvel realm, James. And we all know Secret Wars uh, was relaunched right around the beginning of summer. And, uh, well, apparently it was supposed to be over in October, but it's not going to be ending until 2016. And that makes you go, what? Yeah. (laughs) Now, keep in mind,
1: Secret War is much like a lot of the main arcs that Marvel and even DC have done, was supposed to be an eight-issue run. Well, guess what? It did so well, and it was so popular, apparently. They said, you know what? We're going to add a ninth issue, including all the tie-ins and the Battle World stuff that we've been doing.
2: That's like when you break up a movie into two films that doesn't need to be broken up into two films. And
1: that gets done a lot. But here's the deal, man. First of all, issue nine, which you said now is not coming out until 2016 is an add-on issue. It's extra, which means something had to be rewritten, something had to be redone to add an issue to the conclusion, okay? Yep. If you're going to push it back this far, this much removed from issue number eight,
2: why do it at all? Exactly. And that's the thing is that it was really supposed to end on October 7th, but now issue nine is not coming out until January 6th. And I'm like, and this worries me a lot, I know Marvel just rebooted everything. I, I know they did. But this makes me more fearsome because a lot of new, their new stuff is tied to Battle World still. So a lot of it makes me fear, oh God, issue 9 is going to come out and then in March or April they're going to just reboot everything again.
1: I really, really don't think that's what they're going to do. But if that's but. what they do though, if
2: they reboot it soon, like within the, before the year's out, then I'm... Done with Marvel, man. I can't read any more Marvel because it's just it, it, it's too much. It's
1: like, it's like that sports team owner that's so impatient that they constantly fire head coaches because it's, they think that's the problem with their team. Yeah, it's
2: like, it, yeah, exactly. It's like the Cleveland Browns who they just have like a million quarterbacks that play for them and they just can't find that one pretty much. So they just got to keep on reshuffling them and reshuffling but them.
1: But the difference here is, is that Marvel is selling and it's... Yeah. Not, not necessarily working for me, although I like some of the stuff that they're putting out right now. It wasn't necessarily working for me, but it's selling and it's working for their fan base. So I understand why other companies are rebooting and changing stuff a little bit because, you know, you got to catch the person that's in front. So I get that. Right. But
2: if it's working, why do you keep changing it? Well, I just said, but if your original plan was to say we we're supposed to end in October and then they're like, oh, wait a minute, we're going to be pushing in 2016. That's a problem. Yeah. Because it just shows that honestly to me, it shows it's, that Secret Wars a lot of people I don't think are liking it. And I think Marvel's panicking a little bit. They're like, oh God, you know, we 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 built this we built this whole Secret Wars thing and now nobody's really getting into it. We need to do something, we need to launch a, an extra issue, you know, and, and that's the thing. You know, I kinda- haven't even been moderately interested in
1: the last what, three major yeah. arcs from Marvel? Not even a little bit.
2: I mean, Original Sin, going back to that, that really disappointed me, you know? And I'm like... Yeah, I really flushed my money down the toilet on that one. And the thing is, you've read Convergence, and you're not saying you, and you like Convergence, but you're not saying it because you're a DC guy. I mean, we both read Secret Wars a little bit. I didn't like it, man. I stopped after like the couple of, like, second issue or so. Well,
1: and I'll be the first to admit, even Convergence wasn't all that great, but I sure as hell thought it was better than Secret Wars.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm just like, when you're looking at this, and and of course... Axel Alonso, who is, of course, the editor-in-chief over at Marvel, he, you know, he, he pretty much said, you know, apparently Secret War is even bigger than we thought it was. And to me, that says this. <laughs> His was, my plan was to have October, but the writers just thought they had an infinite fucking timeline and deadline and just said, you know, we just throw an extra issue in there. You know, I, I think that this is
1: some sort of a money grab of, in some way or something like that is money. grab. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure it has anything to do with the creative team. Maybe it is the editor going, you know what, let's milk a little bit more out of this cow and we'll make them wait for it, too. So then that way they'll really want to read it or they'll just not care. I got to tell you, I think a lot of people are going to forget that there is a ninth issue of Secret Wars and then they're going to go pick up their pull on yeah. the
2: sixth and go. What's this doing in here? Yeah, right? Did Hard I already read this? I, I, I know, right? I, I just... I don't get it, man. I just don't. And like I said, my, my biggest fear is that Marvel... When you drag someone out like this... Lot, especially when you drag out uh, a big arc like Secret War, or even like a Convergence, and you you know stretch it out for so long, it's going to get to a point where... Like I said, we're already in that point where Marvel's in an all-new, all-different phase. So, really... Why is War still out when you already have yeah. all your new number ones out and all your new stories going over? Because isn't that going to kind of cause a little bit of a problem? Is, is issue nine even going to make sense now? Yeah.
1: it might. I don't even think it will. And it might, you know what? It might be mostly done, too. Maybe. I don't even know what the holdup is. I, I don't even care anymore.
2: I don't know. But our final story deals with the man, Peter Jackson, of course, director of Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. and. There was a video that was released a couple days ago, James, of uh, him, of course, polishing his Oscars, but there was more to that video than meets the eye. Yeah, it looks like uh, our man Peter Jackson has got his sights
1: set on the TARDIS a little bit because he's talking about wanting to direct an episode of Doctor Who now. Now, I'm not sure if this is going to be like the first like. Eight-hour episode of Doctor (laughs) Who
2: ever? Well, no, there's there's actually a joke about that. Like his daughter says, Stephen Moffat, you know, who's the executive producer, said he goes, he wants you to take what you do with your movies, and then instead of doing like shooting over three months, shoot it in twelve days and make it like forty-five
1: minutes to an hour. Although, if you read the articles about the Hobbit that have come out recently, I guess he was kind of throwing darts at the wall there too. So, (laughs) pretty much. Uh, I don't know. I mean, this is this something that that you'd even be interested in? Would you want to see him involved in Doctor Who, even if it was for like a short little run?
2: I mean, when it comes to certain shows, I don't really pay attention to who's directing it. For example, like look at Preacher. Like I don't pay attention. Like oh my god, Seth Rogen, stuff like that. Yeah. I'm like oh, it's Preacher. This i will be like oh okay, cool, it's Peter Jackson. But you know, it's not gonna you know, it's just one of those. It's just gonna be an episode I think to me. You know, I think people get too wrapped up in oh my god, this guy's directing an episode of the show. And they get carried away because I know it's Peter, Peter Jackson. Yeah. But they think that they feel as if one episode means he's going to be directing an entire season. Yeah, and I guess I, what, kids? He's not writing it. No, he's And not. there's a difference. No, and, and I, but I love the fact that, you know, Peter Capaldi, who's the current doctor right now, comes in and into the, the workshop where Jackson and his daughter are. And Jackson's like, who are you? How'd you get in here? And he's like, "Oh, I'm the doctor, and everything else." And of course, you had a like going in the background. Like I was, uh-huh. I was laughing, man. I'm like, "Okay, this is smart. This is really smart marketing really by is. the BBC and Doctor Who." And you know, there was a whole joke with uh, that Peter Jackson. He was like, "So are they going to come here to New Zealand and, uh, <laughs> and, and and shoot the episode, or or do I have to go over to England and in, in in Britain and shoot this?" You know, I mean, but I I I mean, hey, you know let's see you know let's see how where it takes place and and where it goes man i'm actually you know like i said i'm i'm happy for it but i'm not like oh my god i gotta see this oh my god i mean
1: yeah you're right i mean it's one of those things where if anything else it's going to be a label that gets stuck on the episode it says you know directed by peter jackson you know so they can give you that so they can give you that little extra flavor as if you wouldn't be watching doctor who
2: anyway that's gonna be probably a problem because people will probably watch it if it doesn't live up to their expectations. They're like, "Oh, this was the worst episode ever." But even if it probably was a good episode, it just wasn't up to their quote unquote Peter Jackson standards. I'm just not sure Peter Jackson can condense anything
1: into an hour. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not convinced at all. It would be like telling Michael Bay, "Now, Michael, you can't break anything."
2: You can't make anything explode, Michael. Only 10 explosions in this one. You can't go normal with 10,000. Only 10. And the only thing
1: that would explode is his bottom lip out of his mouth because he would be sad.
2: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's going to do it for Nerd News. But speaking of being sad, we're not sad anymore because coming up, we got our interview with Jackson Lanzig and Colin Kelly of Batman and Robin Eternal from DC Comics. Stay tuned. We're going to Gotham next. I'm down and nerdy.
0: Hi, this is Katrina Law from Arrow, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast with James Witham and Nick Battaglia.
1: Well, you remember how pumped up you were for Batman Eternal when it first came out last year. Now, the new series, Batman and Robin Eternal, has really been blazing up the comic book scene, and we've, we're just so happy to have a couple of the writers from that series with us right now of Issue 9 and 10. It's Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly. How are you guys doing today?
0: we great, man. We're Thanks doing. for us. We're
2: doing totally great. Oh, that's awesome, man! So, how was your guys' weekends? I uh, I know one of you guys had a pretty eventful weekend uh, this past week. <laughs> Have you been
0: trolling my Twitter feed? <laughs> a, little yeah, a little bit, a little bit. I was down in Costa Rica, and I uh, made my girlfriend into an honest woman. Uh, we got engaged. Yeah. time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty darn happy about it.
1: I think what's I think what's more interesting I, I, is I, what I, Jackson I, decided to do after he heard about the news. Uh,
0: uh, well, so uh, uh, we, we've, got, we've got a little bit of a uh, uh, Star Trek love going on in our, in our friend group. And I, I, I feel that they particularly like I introduced, uh, uh, I sort of reintroduced Colin to Star Trek. And then very uh, much, I think, between the two of us, we really introduced Amanda, uh, his fiance to, uh, to Star Trek uh, in, in a really big way. Uh, so I'm expecting that when it comes to the wedding, uh, I'm going to be performing a lot of Klingon opera. I'm going to be expecting them to be wearing the red leather We're going to do the two point on heart ceremony Yeah, going to be great oh, that's well, I'm training Amanda on the bat lift. There you go <laughs> the, wedding, the wedding night's about to become a wedding fight Oh wow <laughs> <laughs> Oh you've met, you've met my fiancé not can go? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Oh gosh! Well, oh, tur- turning our—excuse t- <clears throat> me—turning our attention from Star Trek to Batman and Robin Eternal, which is such a great series, and there's actually so many great writers and artists that are on this series, and you're all clearly working very well together because everything's just so consistent. So, what's that collaborative process like?
0: Well, we all got together, uh, in a room, uh, uh, when we first started the book, uh, it was a, um, there was a really great outline from, uh, James Tynum and Seth Snyder, uh, who broke it together. Uh, James is really like the showrunner and obviously Scott is the godfather to all that content. Oh yeah. So if you're working in the Bat universe right now at, at DC, you are, you know, you're playing in Scott's, uh. Backyard, so he's been very involved in, in keeping the story on the rails. But uh, James uh, brought that outline to the room. Uh, that room consisted of the whole team. So, uh, you know, that's James, that's the amazing Concealy, uh, Steve Orlando, Jenny uh, Ed Griffin, uh, and us, uh, which was nuts alongside us. Yeah, as the young bucks, as the new guys, we got to sit <laughs> in this room with uh, all his amazing <laughs> talent. With all these amazing talent. Really, our first, yeah. superhero comic. our first superhero comic, and we could sit in a room with with all of these guys and good ideas it was uh something to, it was something to go through uh so we all sat down and uh broke uh essentially the whole story you know front to back uh figured out where it was going uh how each character would kind of kind of move through the uh through the story, we had a lot of uh, discussions about, you know, James is very cool uh, about him coming in and being like, look, like, all of this is mutable. If something really doesn't work, let's tear it apart in the room and let's find something that does. We ended up introducing some new elements that we didn't expect. Um, we had a great B-plot. Uh, you know, the A-plot really ended up being, um, uh, you know, Dick Grayson and Harper Rowe and Cassandra Cain's story because the story uh, reintroduces Cassandra Cain into the New two, And then uh, the B-plot, which ended up being uh, in large part where Colin and I got to play, uh, ended up getting to play with uh, uh, Tim Drake and Jason Todd uh, on their own mission, uh, just in kind of two guys, very much an odd couple, uh, as they track uh, a different side of the mystery, which let us introduce uh, a, another new character to uh, to the New 52 uh, in Batman and Robin, Eternal Number Nine, which we're really excited about. Yeah, and in case you can't notice, you know, Jackson and I have a little bit of experience with a, with odd couple uh, partnerships. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Judging by the opening, very much um, so. And then Oof. the degree to which the uh, the degree to which the artists have uh, worked alongside everybody is really that that all comes down to them being you know ultimate professionals, um, led by Tony Daniels, who's doing just an incredible job uh-huh. uh, on the uh, sort of flagship uh, uh, issues of the book, um, which he and James are working on. And, and we can't wait to share with in you a guys. Working with great people. Yeah. And uh, and on issue nine and ten, uh Roger Antonio, who is our other artist, I mean we couldn't be more thrilled to be working with him. He mm. did some stuff. Oh and, yeah. It's absolutely awesome. It is it Yeah, is... Ro- Roge and uh and Haroldo Borges, Borges who does uh, our does the second half of our second issue uh, as well. So it it's oh. it's been a pleasure working with both of them.
2: Oh, exactly. I mean, the art is just phenomenal. It's really, really great. We actually got a a good look at issues 9 and 10 you guys worked on. And, you know, you brought up, you know, Tim Drake and and Red Hood. And they're the two people, of course, you primarily focus on are those two. So what makes both themselves and the relationship just so dynamic and different and fun within the
0: series? Well, I think the cool thing here is that we have these two Robins who are really, both of them grew up. Both of them were Robin in the shadow of Dick Grayson. And you can really make a strong argument that Dick Grayson is the ultimate Robin. He is charming. He is charismatic. He is great at his job. He's a genius. And then these two other Robins come along, one of which who died, and the other of which never really was a Robin at all. He just skipped to right to being Red Robin. So we have these two guys trying to figure out, you know, how best to be their own men and coming at it from completely different directions. We, uh, we sort of start, uh, you know, the the very first page of issue nine, uh, we jump in on these two and they are arguing as their plane is being tracked out of the sky by Santa Persia Air Force. And, you know, they're under a total uh, crisis moment, and these guys are still throwing tabs at each other. Mm-hmm. They're still uh, poking holes at each other. We figure uh, the fun of putting Jason and Tim together, these are two guys who never really had to get along, so they've always had a very, like, Barbie relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, they've got a very, like, touch-and-go, uh, kind of jab-here-jab-there kind of relationship. And suddenly getting that... Uh, getting that focus on like, okay, well, it's just the two of you and you're going to have to deal with each other long-term, ends up, I think, being a really great growing experience for both of them. For for Tim, it's a great opportunity to uh, look at the way that Jason does business, which which he tends to disagree with fundamentally, um, be it the guns or the reckless abandon for his own life uh, or the reckless attention for the life of others. Uh, you know, he's really... Uh, uh, he, he really looked down on Jason to some degree and I think it's him getting an idea of exactly why Jason's necessary. Uh, and at the same time for Jason, uh, a guy who kind of probably looks at him and, and thinks at least a little bit like you've had an easy kid. You know, I've been through the real nightmare uh, of this. Like, you just, you know, you you were, it's sort of that, uh, that, that, that Bane lines, uh, you know, I, I, you adopted this darkness but I was born to it. Yep. Uh, and I think well, he well, Jason, say, you know, and I really, you know, you have something to learn from me, even if you think that I'm this kind of reckless, uh, this reckless loser. Like, I'm actually well, the, the guy who knows how to do this, so maybe listen up. And plus, you know, Jason looks at Tim like a nerd. Jason yep. is this yep. new guy who's able to deal with every kind of situation. And Tim Drake, I mean, he's a techie. You know, he's an egghead. Like, he, he's, all he's going to do is get in Jason's way. You know, so it's about these two guys realizing that they're not really opposite ends of the spectrum. They're brothers. And they really got to learn to um, let each other, you know, teach each other how to do their job.
1: I wanted to touch on something else that you guys said a couple of minutes ago, talking about Dick Grayson and Harper. And they've kind of seemed to have found some common ground in these last couple of issues. So how would you describe their relationship? And is he kind of grooming her to become a future Robin at
0: some point? Well, I think he has a great question. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah, I, mean, I really great one. Yeah, I mean I think I think Harper is a um, Harper's the Robin who, uh, in, in a lot of ways, she, she feels like the Robin who like the Robin who got away, and I think she feels like that um, at the beginning of, of Batman: Robin Eternal. She feels like uh, all of these other guys got um, the training, uh, all these other guys got the relationship with Batman, uh, all these other guys got the uh, the sense of uh, belonging uh, that comes with wearing that suit. Uh, Harper, uh, you know, she made her own way into this. And unlike Tim, never got uh, to work with Batman, never got uh, the training that was promised to her. So what's been interesting about the relationship between Harper and Dick is that, uh, you know, Dick Grayson has everything that Harper ever wanted and doesn't seem to fully appreciate it. Uh, And at the same time, uh, Harper is everything that Dick doesn't think uh, a Robin should be. She's reckless. She's self-taught. She doesn't uh, go by that man's rules. She doesn't go by her own, like, she doesn't even have, like, really her own rules. She's just she's, she's very she's the worst. Fan. She's the worst part of Jason and the worst part of Tim. <laughs> yep, you <know>, yep. she's, <laughs> right she's impulsive, and she's a, she's a, she's, a, she's an egghead nerd with her head up her own butt. And and from, from everything that she doesn't believe Of course. From this, this perspective. But ultimately, <laughs> I think that's going to be the, that's the big question of the book, is to what degree are those preconceptions true and to what degree are those Again, preconceptions. Uh, so, we're, we, there's actually a scene in, uh, in Nine where uh, they get into it, because um, yes, they've been I think finding some common ground, but that's mostly been about Cass. And at the end of Banner uh, Robin Eternal uh, Number 8, after a showdown with Mother at the opera, which I, I just thought was so amazingly um, oh, yeah. oh, done yes. by a great scene on that book, uh, Seven and Eight were fantastic. Cass is gone. You know, Cass runs away. And all of a sudden, uh, Harper and Dick, who really only found common ground over working with Cassandra Kane, are stuck with each other. And without that mitigating factor of Cass Kane uh, I think you're going to see sparks fly a little bit more uh, between the two of them. There's also a fun uh, point in this that uh, we talked about a lot in the room, which is that Dick Grayson can kind of charm his way into or out of any situation, except when it comes to Harper. But, like yep. one of the fundamental overriding aspects of Harper Rowe is that she does not fall for Dick Grayson's charms. And that's a really fun superpower uh, to give her in any scene to pick because uh, the, the ways that he likes to work uh, won't always work, and he might have to be a little bit more
2: honest with her. Oh, exactly, exactly. I mean, that's that's really the really the cool thing. I mean, you know, we're talking, of course, with Jackson Lanzig and Colin Kelly of Batman Robin Eternal, and here's the thing that I love the most is that, you know, you do have that, that great dynamic between all these different Robins and, and Bluebird and everything else, but you also, as you said, I want to go back to issue nine, that first page. You have time to make some fun, and within all that seriousness, with Red Hood and uh, Tim Drake. Now there is a reference Tim makes to the ba- the Batman '66 show, which I never picture myself laughing so hard in the Batman comic when I read that. Whose idea was that? And what's your favorite thing about the classic show? <laughs>
0: Uh, I think I, I mean, we, 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 don't tend to take individual credit for lines because, right. uh, we never know. Um, but I know that I fought really hard for that line. So I know that one. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I, was uh, Yeah, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure I was the one who was like, dude, I don't think anyone wants this. It turns out everyone no. wants this. So, you know, shut up, guys. It was one of those things, <laughs>
2: it was one of those things where I was um, laughing. It was one of those things where I was laughing at a Batman comic. I'm like, oh, I'm going to hell for this. <laughs> Just because I'm like, I'm oh, like I feel something. so dirty for laughing at a Batman comic.
0: <laughs> and but here's the reason why it actually totally works. And this is the reason why like, I I, I smooth down my own feathers. They're going to Santa Prisca. Santa Prisca's surrounded by sharks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll say, like, that's a setup. We're not just dropping that to make you laugh. Like there's a setup there. You'll see where that pays off. Um, but the uh, in regards to the Batman 66, I think the thing that it kind of speaks back to the fact that you didn't expect to laugh in a Batman comic. Oh and yeah. And that's the thing, yep. you know. Batman can get so grim dark. Um, he exists in this tortured world where, you know, everything is suffering essentially in pain and tragedy. But if you only ever exist in the shadows, you know, it all just becomes black. You gotta have a little lightness. You gotta have some light so that those shadows really pop. Yep. But I think that's what 1966 that sixty six really did. Oh, excuse me, really did well. And isn't that what Robin is to end? Oh yeah, it. very uh, much it, so. You know, I think I think the, the thing that the thing that we um, I would say the reason that I ran after that reference beyond the fact that you know there are sharks surrounding Santa Cruz so there was actually a practical reason to, to make the reference um, was that uh, there is a like very legitimate. You know, goal in this book, I think. So One of the things that, that we all came onto the book really wanting to do, which is to tell that 75th anniversary Robin story uh, that fully summarizes the the myriad ways that Batman and Robin have affected each other and affected pop culture uh, and affected storytelling uh, over the years. And not just looking at what Batman means to Robin, but what Batman and Robin mean. Uh, so in doing so, we're really trying to leave no stone unturned as far as uh, what gets included into this, how you reflect onto this. Um, and this is something that I think everybody was looking to do. Uh, it's one of you know Steve Orlando's great strengths is that he's able to dig deep into continuity and find really great uh, references and moves to make. Uh, there's, a, there's a great uh, reference to, uh, uh, to Dixon in his uh, in, in Issue 5, uh, you know, to, to tip the hat there to a character who was really powerful in Tim Drake's legacy, or even you know, to, to a writer who was very powerful yep. in Tim Drake's legacy. So, you know, this was a chance for us to make sure that, yes, like that M66 was represented uh, in that, uh, you know, pantheon, but at the same time, it was a great opportunity to show what is fundamentally distinct about Jason and Tim, which is that Jason has no need for shark repellent. He will shoot the sharks. Uh, Tim <laughs> is going to do all of that math ahead of time, and make sure that he has three different kinds of shark talent because he's never going to get caught unprepared. Uh, there are two very distinct different parts of Batman uh, that are reflected in Tim and Jason, and, uh, you know, grown-worthy, though the reference might be for some people, I think it's actually really on point when it comes to um, uh, describing, in a nutshell, the difference between Jason and Tim.
1: Definitely, and I wanted to go back to issue nine for a second, and I'm going to be try really hard to be spoiler-free on this one. Now, a well-known Batman character gets introduced into the story at the end of issue nine. We found out something very shocking about him in issue 10 that comes out next week. And will this information once he finds it out, will that change his role coming up in future issues? Do you think?
0: We are going to do a very interesting little dance here. Yeah. Um, (laughs) That character um, was one of our absolute favorites um, growing up. I mean, like he's, his books are the ones that I, you know, I collected all of. Um, oh, we were excited, yeah. But also, but yeah, but bringing him into the universe in a way that that um, is respectful of the original version, but also, you know, really makes him into a much richer character and into something that is new and says something worthwhile within the legacy of Batman and Robin was the real challenge. Um, the last thing we'd want is to just pay lip service to, uh, you know, a, a fan favorite for a fan, um, you know, Non favorite to some people, um, without being able to do it in a way that really mattered and in a way that really kind of brought something new to the table. So, so yeah, regardless, saying, and it could be developing quite quite robustly. And as the room talked about it, you know, there we we had a vote in the room, um, you know, with all the writers, uh, but we sat there and, like, you know, we we they were already introducing Kathleen um, back in to the uh, and she's such a huge part of the story, and her arc is so uh, fundamental and. Hilariously, uh, I think by the time that we are done, uh, Colin and I will not have written a single page of Kathleen. Uh, <laughs> that is funny. I love her as a character, uh, but it just never worked out for a plot perspective. Fortunately, she's in great hands. Everyone who's written her has, I think, been, been killing it. Um, uh, you know, Jenna most uh, uh, most noticeably recently. And then uh, James has the an issue coming up that is Kathleen's Cascade-centric that is going to be, uh, it's going to break a lot of hearts. It's really, really beautiful. Wow. We are really given the opportunity to to play with this other legacy character uh, who means a lot to us and it was important in the same way that reintroducing Captain couldn't be done lightly uh, neither could reintroducing this character so uh, there was a vote in the ring and we all agreed that it it was right to uh, include uh, him in the book because he's a huge part of the Batman and Robin legacy in his own way Uh, we thought it was useful Uh, we thought it had something to say about the A-plot and that it had something to say about Jason and Tim but uh, that also meant that we had to really look at the character, and as the new 52 affords you the opportunity to do, uh, we had to rethink it from the ground up and uh, really think about like who this character is if you're starting from a blank page. Uh, which, as you know, as the guys will be introducing his character, uh, we are. So actually, we've written a lot of uh, written a lot of outlines about what it is that this character is special about this character, and and pass that to DC It pass to be our writers um, and uh, everybody's been very supportive of uh, kind of forwarding this new take uh, on, a, on a character who is, for us, uh, a, a, like, fundamental classic uh, and one that has, I think, his own thing to say in the, in the world of the DC universe.
2: So w- before we get you guys out of here, where can people find you on social media?
0: Uh, on Twitter, I am at CP Kelly, and I got a website, thecolinkelly.com. And I am Jackson Landon, J-P-K-F-O-N-L-A-N-V-I-N-G, and then
1: www.jacksonlanding.com. We are so privileged to get a look in, an early look at Issues 9 and 10. Issue 9, of course, out this week. Next week, you're going to be loving Issue 10. We want to thank you guys so much for taking the time. Jackson Landing, Colin Kelly, thanks so much for coming on the show this week. Oh,
0: thank, thank you. Thank you very much for having
2: us. Well, it's not every day you get to do an interview with Steve-O as your uh, co-anchor, I got to tell you.
1: Yeah, uh, I do appreciate everybody kind of, you know, Sticking with me here because I'm playing, <laughs> playing, playing a, playing a little hurt this week. But uh, I promise I'll sound better, probably by next week's show. But you know, when you get when you get the illness and you've got uh, the tiny little uh, germ factory known as my son. <laughs> Jameson uh, this kind of stuff can happen so I just appreciate everybody listening to the show this week and just kind of uh, letting me power through so I appreciate just sticking around because we had that was a great conversation we just had with Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly
2: it was great man I mean you know we talked you know I love their take on the whole Red Robin and Red Hood the fact is that brotherly kind of older brother younger brother quarterback nerd kind of relationship that 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 they go together but they, you have to force them together. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and it's just, it works. And I was laughing. Like, like just the banter they had. I was yeah. laughing. Like, I told them, I said, I felt really dirty, like laughing at a Batman comic. Mm-hmm. I'm like, is this supposed to be dark? Like, I'm laughing at it. You know? And But I mean, it was really, and it's really, really fun. And the character they bring in, yeah, I, I text you yeah. immediately, I'm like, oh my god, Yeah, they
1: did it. I was yes. really psyched, I was really psyched when they did that, and there's just so much going on in issues 9 and 10, and I think all the issues have been great, but it really gets kicked up a notch in 9 and 10, so I'm, I'm really glad that uh, we got a chance to talk to Jackson and Colin about that, of course you can get that at your local shops, or on digital as well, issues 9 and 10, issue 9 should be out for you now, issue 10 will be coming out this Wednesday, which I believe is December the 9th. Yep. So you can go ahead and get that on December the 9th, and you're going to want to. If you haven't read the series already, go back to issue one. Well worth it. Probably going to be the best Robin story ever told.
2: Oh, exactly. And also I want to give a quick shout out to our man Clark over at DC for hooking us up with, uh, you know, hookups with Jackson and, and Colin because, I mean, it's just awesome You know, have the, the relationship we do at DC and the do these great interviews. You know, it's really fun to do these every week. Uh, but as always, that's going to do it for us. Here on the Down Nerdy Podcast, again, thanks to Jackson Lanzig, thanks to Colin Kelly, and of course, thanks to everybody over at DC Comics for helping us out and hooking us up this week. Of course, we had fun talking to them as well. Now, here's the thing. We're also on social media as well. You can hit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Don Nerdy. We're also on Twitter at DownNerdy 757 I'm at Merk with one arm, mister Stevo. Oh,
1: let's see if I can do this. I'm at James Ace with him. On Twitter. And you can also find us online at downandnerdypodcast.com. Where you'll be able to probably read my review that I wrote on the website better than you heard my review earlier on the show. <laughs> yeah. We both we both do different reviews on the website every week along with on the show. It's two different comics that we've read. It's in the What Else We're Reading section. We've also got the This Week section that will tell you everything that's going on the show. You want to buy those Batman Eternal comics that we're talking about, Batman and Robin Eternal, on our website in the This Week section we will have links For every issue, you can buy digitally from Amazon right through our Amazon store. Safe, secure. You can get it on your Kindle Fire. Whatever device you want to use that's connected to Amazon, even your laptops, you can do that.
2: Exactly. I leave you with this. As always, nerds, practice safe comic book reading. Always bag and board your comics. And don't be a jackass.